are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio. Only here, lastwordonsports.com. What's up, Internet? My name is Matt Pollard, and you are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio, only here, lastwordonsports.com. It is Thursday, September 7th, 2023. It's been a minute since we've been podcasting. Sorry, busyness, League's Cup, soccer stuff, life getting in the way and everything. But here to talk about a smattering of things that we think are topical in this moment, uh, my co-host, Rachel Krieger. Rachel, hello. Smattering. That's a new one. I, I like that, Matt. That's a good word. Yeah, it's like, a, I don't know, like we, we took the peanut butter and then we mixed it with the jelly and we put some butter and then something else and then smeared it over bread and they're all in this weird, um, you know, Mobius form as well. Or I suppose it's like every single Philadelphia Union, uh, New York Red Bull game where you've got three players going in for a tackle, a foul is called, and then just everybody's up in Fotis Bazakos' business within 10 yards within 10 seconds. So um, well, we'll need Harvey to confirm or deny um but that that what you just described sounds like the perfect midnight snack yes absolutely okay um food and munchies ideas notwithstanding rachel um we've had some time rachel to look back on the u.s women's national team there's been some media availability that has happened we've gotten a few retirements from the national team level that are impacting things we've gotten some big bigger picture retirement announcements as well and then i'd also like to highlight just from a Colorado bias here, Rachel, there was some very media savvy saying, acknowledging what the quiet part is without saying the quiet part out loud by co-captain Lindsay Horan, where she kind of alluded to the gradual improvement we saw um, from the group stage to the knockout stage in terms of performance and chance creation, uh, being mostly the players discussing things amongst themselves and implementing that and that not really coming from the coaching staff whatsoever. And again, Trinity Rodman puts a ball, you know, four feet, one other side, maybe we're having a very different conversation, but the, we now have a lot of time, Rachel, to do a proper autopsy on the U S women's national team and on this generation that is now aging out and what this means for the pool going forward. And you have some thoughts. Yeah. I mean, just going back to the scoring thing, I just, ugh, from the start, I was like, how is Ashley Sanchez or I'm sorry, not Ashley Sanchez, but Ashley Hatch not on this roster. I mean, she's basically done everything right in, in league play. And I, I think the, the game after she got told that she was not going to be on the roster, um, she either scored once or she scored a brace, but I remember for sure that she scored. Um, and she recently was just on, um, on the, on the Sam Mewis podcast and, and was saying like, you know, there's literally nothing more I could have done. Like, I, I don't have any regrets with like how I've played, um, at the club level. Like I just, um, like there's nothing more that she could have done and she's right. There is nothing more she could have done. Um, but my, my issue is, my issue is, is really with Julie Ertz. Um, and the, the issue doesn't stem just directly from the world cup, but from what happened after the world cup. So basically, um, about a, about a week ago now, she announced her retirement from professional soccer, um, said that she's done internationally. She's done professionally as well. And it basically just confirmed what, you know, everybody knew already that Julie Ertz was basically toying with and using angel city fc um as a stepping stone to the national team um i think that's pretty gross to do as a player like taking a roster spot away from you know another well-deserving player just for you to go oh oopsies i didn't win the world cup i'm officially done um I, on the other side too though like to play devil's advocate I also think that they maybe Angel City did know about this. Like she, you know, she could have very well said to Angel City, like, hey, listen, I'm basically using you as a stepping stone um, to get on the national team. And uh, I'm done after that. And they were like, okay, great. We're going to make a move for Amadine Henri, um, who used to play in the NWSL with the Portland Thorns and is now with Angel City FC. Um, 
But still, I mean, it's just like coming from a fan point of view too, Matt, like imagine spending all that money on like a Jolie Arts jersey because people are going to spend money on a Jolie Arts kit because she's a popular player. She's a national team player. Um, and then she plays like, I think she maybe played like four, five, maybe generous, but four or five games um, for Angel City FC. And then she went to the World Cup and then she retired. I mean, she literally did not care about Angel City FC. And that was proven way before um, whenever she skipped a game to throw out the first pitch at a, at a Phillies game. Like, I mean, come on. It's just it was painfully obvious, but still it just doesn't it doesn't sit right with me that you're using um, a, a national a, a national women's soccer league club, um, a, a coveted roster spot, because, as you know, as we know, Matt, there's only 12 teams in the league right now. Um, which is going to be expanding to 14 in a couple of years. But still, right now, there's only 12, um, 12 teams and, what, 26 roster spots in the NWSL. So those are coveted roster spots. And for someone to to use it as, you know, the the gateway to get back to the national team, it just it doesn't really sit right with me. Julia Ertz didn't have a very good World Cup. Um and it, it makes me wonder what could have been if Vlako Andonovsky would have um actually practiced what he preached and said, um, yeah, form actually does matter. I'm gonna bring a club player in with form. Cough, cough, they're different positions, but cough, cough me official. Um it just yeah, it just doesn't sit right with me. And you know, you can't scream about form, 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 form matters, and then just not like call up players who are who are playing poorly but I've talked about that before so I'm not gonna scream about it too much but I mean Julia Ertz yes she has done very incredible things I mean 2015 World Cup I I really enjoyed watching her 2019 World Cup when they moved her uh more to the midfield um but it just it also didn't sit right with me when they were basically like she is the only option we have at center back and I, I have to feel for a player like Alana Cook who is playing consistently in the NWSL um, and playing club level and has been for the last couple of years. And basically Andonovsky and company are saying, yeah, we don't trust you enough in a big tournament. Um, so we're going to bring back this player who hasn't played in like three years and has only played a handful of minutes before the world cup. And I think that showed, um, I, I think it showed with the team and that's my, that's my thoughts on that. And if anybody wants to roast me, um, you can go ahead and try, but I'm not changing my stance. Yeah, no, I think, you know, Rachel, we can say that it, hindsight is 2020, but I think clearly there were a number of older players who were out of something in there was not right. Because if you ask me personally, Rachel, veteran players who based on their past in their career and that got the amount of minutes they did, that could have gotten more minutes to solve some of this team's problems. For me, if there was one individual, I would have said Kelly O'Hara getting more minutes at the Women's World Cup. Now, part of that reasoning for me then is then you move Julie Ertz into her more natural position. Ertz did some interesting things at center back, but not effective. And then that allows Lindsay Horan to move up a little bit more, Roosevelt to be a little bit more attacking. It compounds forward as well to have an old head that's the, you know at the back as well. That's me personally. But you know, I think we can agree Megan Rapino wasn't good enough. I think it's a valid question. Is this Alex Morgan's last World Cup? Or if she is going to the 2027 world cup is he is she going to be the rapino of that group in terms of veteran old head who gets 30 minutes and is definitely not going to be a starter there's no scenario where she's starting a women's world cup and so as we've talked about you know with all the young players and the opportunities they could have had you've talked about it vlatko has admitted that like that young talent was there was there a disconnect there did vlatko feel that that was that bringing in all the veterans who were a part of it who were not malcontents in ways that not Julie Ertz, um, who am I thinking of? Uh, Carly Lloyd, excuse me, Carly Lloyd um, being, uh, you know, the, the, the other players got along with Flacco in ways that Carly Lloyd didn't. And I think we saw, well, what Carly Lloyd's comments, I think, were fair criticisms. The fact that she directed it at Vlatko and the young players, but not the veterans who should have been there, who've been there before, who should know, suggests to me who she was taking a shot at. And so 
I think if Lotko had had either a little bit more control in the situation or that maybe a little bit more gumption to remove those, that could have helped. And maybe the older players should have known going out the way that we did in 2019 was the best way to do it. They stuck around long enough to become the villain, Rachel. You know, that that ad that that multi-minute ad that Fox had where, you know, you've got the drone flying over and the U.S. being super cocky and then the fans in other countries and uh, foreign accents all talking about how we're going to beat them. And then at one point they go back in time and then uh, and then give baby Megan Rapino a racket and they basically and then turns out she's a Terminator and everything that aged very very poorly it was not the united states versus the world it was the u.s getting beat by two small european countries who they should have beaten and so or excuse me they drew the netherlands i apologize um and then there was portugal and then there was sweden and so that definitely aged portly and i think the you know they've out they've they've outstayed their welcome on so many levels and i think rachel your point is also highlighting the fact that i think the reality is now we're starting to see those players outstay their well outstay their welcome in their professional game in terms of in the NW as well so uh we were talking about this a few weeks ago rachel in a chat um with you me and a couple of the other hosts at last word sc and at one point I said, you know, it's time we admit the old guard from 2015 to 19 are abusing their privileges and in taking advantage of Woso to its de detriment. And so in that regard, I felt like the Women's World Cup from a uh, personnel standpoint was more about them than the team actually being successful. And as we've seen with Julie Ertz, there's an opportunity for, you know, a, a short term, but mutually agreed upon benefit that people are having at the expense of someone buying an Angel City Julie Ertz kit, thinking that this is a player that's going to be with them and win potentially um, win a Women's World Cup, come back and then help Angel City win a trophy by the end of the year. And it turns out you bought a, a you bought a, a jersey for a player that was only there for four games. I can certainly see where you look at that and you're upset or it's the if this was almost a pre-agreement, I feel like we deserve to have known about that beforehand or at least let Meg Linehan mention it briefly on the podcast under under her breath or something like that so that's unfortunate for me i think we're definitely turning over a new page i think it should be um a, a more it should be a coach who's more about youth development whereas i would say vlatko was win now and certainly i would argue that uh jill ellis was the this is going to be a horrible analogy given what's recently happened with Bruce Arena, Rachel. So I want to remove the comparison given what potentially is going on with Bruce at the club level. Purely from a national team context, Jill Ellis is closer to Bruce Arena in terms of let me build a good club culture, establish some basic stuff. Um with the uh with the veterans and everything let me hold the rookies accountable make everybody slightly better and then when in areas where it makes sense for me to get out of the way and let them do their thing let me get out of the way and jill ellis did a fantastic job of that did a good job of that in 2015 i think she did a fantastic job of it in 2019 and the only thing that maybe she really did wrangle in is focusing in players when there were things going on off the pitch namely the social justice movement that that was not a distraction and i think increasingly there was other stuff going on with them that was a distraction and that was unfortunate um i, I think it's disappointing that clearly vlatko did not have the pull within the room or the the gumption maybe another poor analogy here rachel the cojones um to uh move on from some players sooner than he could have and then clearly i think he was not tactful tactically adept into dealing with that situation based on the subtle comments that we've seen from lindsey haran hopefully we got a coach who has better ideas tactically given um the comments that we've seen about the difference how the european game especially is catching up in terms of skill set with what you do with the ball rather than us being a team of athletes which i think Regardless of what goes on come 2027, the U.S. will still be a very, if not the most athletic team, especially if we're much younger. Um, this team is more athletic with Mallory Swanson in with it than it would have been um, Megan Rapinoe starting, for example. Uh, Megan Rapinoe at her age relative to uh, Mal Swanson at this age now. So we'll see what happens. I'm excited to see a lot of these young players uh, come up and get opportunities. There's plenty of time in order to figure it out. Uh, and I have full faith, Rachel, that U.S. soccer will not take forever and squander all of this time that we have in order to get the right coach for the job who will have no controversies whatsoever in their past or in their present uh, in terms of how they deal with these new players and get the most out of young players, even if they're injured and maybe have some flaws for them personally. I hope you sense the sarcasm there. Listeners. You have some thoughts, Matt. <laughs> I do. Um, any, uh, so that was, that's a really good segue, Rachel. Anything else we want to say on uh, U.S. Women's National League? Uh, Rachel, give me a, 
Uh, give me one storyline that I should be looking at down the stretch here with uh, the NWSL regular season coming to a close. Honestly, I think just the race for the top. I mean, it's pretty tight for for the most part. Um, Challenge Cup is almost over, so um, teams are going to be focusing more on the regular season. You know, the playoff push, they just announced a while back that it's going to be in San Diego. So obviously the Wave want to be the home team um, in 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 the NWSL final, but I mean, Portland's been looking pretty decent. Kansas city's got their wheels turning. Now there's a lot of rumors that Vlaco um, could be the man that gets hired for the, for the head coaching job during the off season. Um, just a lot of good storylines and Washington kind of sneaking in there again, could make it to their, uh, make it to their second final in, in three years. So lots of good storylines uh, coming up in, in the league. Uh, Rachel, give me a give me a winner. Give me who finishes top of the table in the regular season. I mean, I I really want to say Washington because I just like think they're leaning so much on you know Ashley Hatch, Trinity Rodman, and and Ashley Sanchez. Ashley Sanchez just actually got a, a pretty decent sized contract extension um, earlier on Thursday. So I'm gonna go with Washington. I think I think they sneak in and take the top spot. All right, Washington Spirit it is. Uh, moving on, Rachel, we have the uh, United States men's national team, which will be playing a friendly at City Park on Saturday against Uzbekistan. And then they are also playing Oman in at the Allianz Field. That's Minnesota, right? Yes, that is Minnesota. So very exciting about that. Rachel, obviously a lot of storylines that we have given what Tim Ream has done both for club and country in the last, you know, right around 12 months, I, I guess we'll say 13 to include the start of the premier league uh, last season as well. And then it's obviously it's a, a homecoming for him and Rachel, I think it's a valid question given how much we've seen the U S spread around geographically and the fact that city park would not be uh, would, will not be in contention for being a host stadium or a host city for the men's world cup. This is the first time Rachel that Tim Ream, is with the U.S. men's national team playing in St. Louis. It is the first time at the club level, it's the first time professionally that he's playing there because there was no St. Louis team for him to play when he was at New York Red Bulls. And Reem's been pretty consistent, Rachel, that uh, when he's done playing in England, he's done playing. He does not foresee a move to MLS as well. So, Rachel, this is probably this is very well the last time that he could play in front of his family in St. Louis. And it's the first time that he's playing with them since he was a college player at St. Louis University. Rachel, what do we make of this opportunity? And then big picture, two kind of out of left field opponents that we have for Greg Burhalter's first camp. Uh, wh what are we looking for in this squad other than just let's just not have a controversy, guys, that leads to an investigation? Yeah, I think when you think of like St. Louis and soccer, you think Tim Ream and then you think Becky Sauerbrunn too. Um, they just go hand in hand with the culture of, you know, St. Louis and, um, and just the the overall soccer structure that they have. So it's really exciting. Um, really happy to see Tim Marine back. Obviously, uh, we were pretty thrilled when we went to Philadelphia and we saw him, even though he wasn't suited up in the um, summer series, just being able to, you know, see him encouraging his teammates, stuff like that. And then a few weeks later, um, suiting up again for Fulham. Um yeah, it's it's exciting. Good good for Tim Ream. I hope he just is able to soak it all in. You know he's going to get the captain's armband. Um, and and yeah, he's. You talk about we talked about veteran presence, like with the national women's national team, right? And and Tim Ream has that for the men's national team. He is uh he's the the grandfather of the group, almost even though he's still uh in in his mid to late thirties, but um. You know, he's he's the guy that those younger dudes are, are looking at and especially like young guys who are coming in for their first camp or uh, first call up, whether it's, you know, a goalkeeper or whether it's striker, a fellow defender, like everybody's going to look to Tim Ream just for like professionalism and and you know, how to be a national team player. Um, but big picture. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to say with these matches because it's so like um like it, it's just hard to talk about because you don't really know much about the opponent and um, it's just, it could go one way. It could go another. It could be a just giant blowout. It could be, uh, it could be like a scoreless 30 minutes and then boom, the floodgates open type type of deal. But yeah, I mean, the roster I think was pretty much what we had expected it to be. Um, U S soccer just put out that video of 
Christopher Lund and him getting his one-time switch from FIFA to join the U.S. men's national team. Um, so that was pretty wholesome to see. That was uh, that was exciting. Kevin um, Paredes making his uh, first national team call up. And then you just got guys back who, you know, have been in the fold for a while and hopefully we'll get some playing time. Like Joe Scali, he didn't get playing time in the world cup. Um, Chris Richards didn't make the world cup roster. Um, Having uh, Mark McKenzie back and miles Robinson is always a big deal. I've always been a big fan of Luca De La Torre. Um, I hope he gets some good playing time. um, Even though that midfield is, is pretty darn crowded. Um, and then, yeah, Ricardo Pepe, I mean, everybody, he was the storyline to, to talk about when he didn't make the, uh, didn't make the world cup roster, of course. Um, so all eyes are going to be on him. And then, yeah, I'm excited too just to see like Matt Turner, because he's been doing well at Nottingham, um, Forest. And then, um, of course we're all very excited about Florian Balogun and he could very well have like he could have like four or five goals in in these games um so that would be a nice little boost of confidence before we get into um the october friendlies against a couple tougher teams like germany and ghana um and then going into the the november window which is the the nations league i think it's the, the quarterfinals maybe um but the nations league competition so hopefully we we get some confidence for some of these guys going into these um you know, more important windows to say the least. Well said there, Rachel, I've got the roster in front of me. So I know the roster has been out for a little bit of time, folks, and people have broken down it and snubs and everything and all that, but I'll go through it quickly and then just give some general thoughts. Uh, three goalkeepers, uh, Matt Turner, Ethan Horvath, Drake Callender, all deserved. Uh, for those of you, I assume most of you have been watching Inter Miami. So if you think Callender's getting it just because he's playing well, because Miami's winning because of Lionel Messi, Callender's had some big penalty stops between the League's Cup final which he won and then in the semifinal of the Open Cup at FC Cincinnati to send Miami to hosting the final against Houston. Uh, on defense, Serginho Dest absolutely deserved. Mark McKenzie, Kevin Paredes, Tim Ream, as we mentioned. Jedi Robinson also from Fulham. Uh, Chris Richards coming off a really great Gold Cup and Nations League for me, Rachel, or excuse me, just Gold Cup for him. Miles Robinson, who I don't think was great at the Gold Cup, but I still think, as we saw prior to his Achilles injury, Last season, two seasons ago, was still really good. Joe Scali, who I thought has been fantastic. Uh, midfield, Luca De La Torre, Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa, Malik Tillman, Brendan Aronson, um, Tanner Tessman, I think all completely deserved as well. Rachel, if you have not been paying attention to Serie B and what Venezia is doing, Tanner Tessman, I believe, is captaining them. He's hitting free kicks and everything. Is he a bench guy as well, probably? But like he's deserved it as well. And then if we move on to the... Um, oh, Brendan Aronson, also the citizen midfielder, um, he deserved as well. And then if we look at the forwards, uh, Florian Balligan, Kate Cowell, Ricardo Pepe, Christian Pulisic, Tim Weah. So, Rachel, a, a nice mix of the European guys who obviously um, so many of them are in way better club situations than they are right now. Rachel, it's so cathartic for me watching AC Milan and watching Pulisic and then just seeing him just like not just playing well, but like clearly being happy to be there in ways that he wasn't for what three and a half, three and three quarters years that he was at Chelsea. You know, like he's got a smile on his face and he's playing with joy in ways that we've only ever seen him with the national team over the course of the last couple of years. And he's healthy and he's scoring goals and he's getting assists and AC Milan are getting results. So that's absolutely fantastic. But pretty much every other guy in here is a guy that we see something else in them either based on what they've done for their club team what they've done uh recently with the national team with the two competitions you had over the summer or are fitting some other thing you know Kate Cal might be the one Rachel that for me that is still kind of living off of potent being he's a bit of a potential merchant and that we see a lot of good moments in San Jose but he didn't really have it and I think it's fair to criticize uh how he performed at the gold cup but still a young talent and still at a position that I think is there more so than the actual results for me Rachel I'm almost Greg Berhalter is a process guy I want to see that process and then given that 
you've got the core that I think clearly understands what Greg wants to do and he wants to build on that or maybe even tweak it slightly. How do the other guys fit in in ways that the World Cup roster was ultimately kind of a last minute jumbling because of so many other issues that were going on and everything? Like, can there be much more intention and gradual building? Can we find a way in which Chris Richards is used for or what his role is within that team? What would Malik Tillman bring to a midfield as a bench option uh, if someone, if one of MMA has to be subbed out and everything? Those are the things that I want to see. And the main thing is just the we saw immediate chemistry with uh, Florian Balogun and the other attackers up front. I want to see that continue, uh, even though this is friendly competition against, you know, some uh, less unknown, um, less significant European. Or I think they're technically Asian, Asian competition. Um, I'd have to look at the FIFA map. I, I'm pretty sure Oman and um, and uh, Uzbekistan are technically on the continent of Asia. But in any case, um you don't come to this podcast for geography lessons, listeners. Uh, Rachel, um, you know, uh, uh, we've had the podcast discussing um, Greg coming back and everything. And I, I think obviously that's all none of that's changed and everything. But, you know, the sense there's been some news about um, Burhalter seeking external expert advice on how to de-escalate the situation with Giovanni Reyna. I think one happy dis- one thing that we're happy about from a USMNT standpoint for this camp is that that narrative isn't continuing and going to be a distraction because Gio Ronnie Reyna, Giovanni Reyna is once again hurt and he's not available. So he wasn't called up and everything. So we're spared that, but uh, Gio's hurt again, Rachel, there's still kind of a question of, can he be a regular starter? Can he click regularly for a uh, Dortmund team that desperately needs him and everything? And again, how the heck are these two guys going to work together? And is this a cold war uneasy piece? And how much of Burhalter giving him opportunities is out of an obligation to not create further um, issues, even when Gio doesn't deserve it, as he did not deserve playing time at Qatar. All of these are good questions. Rachel, do we have any answers? Because this isn't going away. So I, yeah, I was very much on the like, why did he not just bring him in to get the chat over with? Um, You can't like, I am not high on Gio Reyna because he is made of breadsticks. It's like, I cannot fully be invested in Rose Lavelle because again, made of breadsticks. Like I know the talent. I've seen the talent that the two of them possess. They have had just like spurts of brilliance, but they're just so they're more consistently injured than consistently not injured. Um, But at the same time, like this is two friendlies uh, against teams that we're hardly ever going to see again. Right. So it's like, rip the bandaid off, just rip the bandaid off, get it over with. Like, I also understand like if Gio needs to stay in Germany to complete like his rehab and stuff, um, fine, whatever. But also just like this, this narrative of, well, it's been, you know, X amount of months, what, like two, three months since Burhalter has been rehired and he hasn't talked to him yet. I mean, just call up a stinking mediator and, and have the conversation and rip the bandaid off. Like, you're you're benefiting nobody dragging it out um and i think it's only going to make things more awkward whenever they do come and meet each other eventually so i don't know i mean i see both sides of it but also i'm more i'm more on the side of just like rip the band-aid off get it over with at this point I'm just I I think this is going to be an uneasy piece in this one, Rachel. And I think this is I think this could extend on all the way through to the World Cup in 2026. I, I think the only real answer on this is Geo not being with the national team or Greg Berhalter's contract. I, I cannot see U.S. soccer unless they win the World Cup, extending him for a third World Cup cycle. And so. I just I, I think, unfortunately, regardless of what's reported or what public statements we get, Rachel, I just I, I have this narrative is going to turn on. It's going to continue to be a distraction. It's going to exist in the media. Uh, I don't know that public statements, even if like the two were to come out and hug, people wouldn't see that that's some level of facade. And so perceived or actual, this is still going to be something that's going around. And this is one at no fault of Greg Berhalter uh, It's just going to continue to be an issue that we see going on. And I, I don't know that I have a real answer in this one. Uh, I think Greg Burhalter should be emotionally intelligent enough to where he didn't need expertise on this kind of thing, Rachel, or how to go about that. I think there could be a mediary, but needing that kind of advice is um, 
I'm going to steal a joke from Rob Ursay, Rachel, who said that Burhalter needing to seek a counselor on how to de-escalate the situation with Gio Reyna is like U.S. soccer hiring, you know, um, what's his name to go through an extensive coaching search and extensive review only to hire the previous guy as well. But um, what would we expect from the U.S. Soccer Federation, given what we've seen going on further as well? Um, so I think that does it for national team talk, Rachel. Rachel, you're nodding. So before we move on to some MLS stuff, listeners, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Uh, AG1 solves two of the most important health needs that you have, nutrition that your body needs on a daily basis, and then it also built a foundation for long-term gut health. Uh, their signature AG1 formula is perfect for both of those things. Uh, it helps fuel your body, impacting everything from your sleep to your digestion, energy, mood, immunity, uh, to the health that uh, you need for your hair, your skin, and your nails. Uh, check out the link in the show notes uh, and get started with AG1 today. Thank you to Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast and sponsoring Last Word on Sports Radio. Rachel, let's move on to some MLS stuff, and I want to start with FC Cincinnati, Rachel, who it's been a while since we podcasted. They had a really great run in Leafs Cup, came up a little bit short, obviously came up short as well in the Open Cup, but they are 10 points clear in the uh, Supporters Shield right now. They're on 57 points off of 21 games played. They are still within shot to break the tie or break the points total record that we've seen of 73 question mark maybe. Um, But they have had a couple hiccups recently. If I go to their schedule, I want to make sure that I get these results right here, Rachel. Um, So um, they have lost uh, whether they've lost their last two games or uh, no. They've lost their they lost their game to Orlando and did not look particularly good in that one. They had an absolutely crazy comeback after going down one nil at Cincinnati. They've spaked NYCFC three nil as well. But so we're looking at them, Rachel, and maybe there was a little bit of a you know you go out in a crazy game in League's Cup, you lose to Lionel Messi in a game that you dominated for the better part of 60, 70 minutes, and probably should have won two nil in ninety minutes. There's going to be a bit of a hangover. What do we see in Cincinnati? Is this a bump in the road? I still comfortably believe they will win the supporter shield yeah i think they'll win the supporter shield too i don't know if they'll break the uh 73 like you said set by the new england revolution um but i i do think that they are going to win the supporter shield pretty comfortably we're we're down the stretch of having less than 10 regular season games for these teams and for them to be up already by 10 points is is pretty uh what's the word i don't know why i just blanked but it's pretty it's pretty big let's just go with that we're gonna not gonna do big words we're gonna do simple words tonight um yeah it's a big deal for them and and i think you know years after me predicting that they were going to win and do big and everything cincinnati got it together and they are winning and doing lots of big things um yeah i love this cincinnati team i love how they're coached um i I think it's just great how they've grown into the season um yeah, there's just so much likable about Cincinnati right now. And listen, I'm not too upset about them losing a game against Columbus because Columbus is a pretty decent side. And um, Columbus and Cincinnati, I mean, it's that's a rivalry, right? Like, you never – those games are always big toss-ups. Like, Columbus could be in last place, and I still wouldn't even be shocked because it's just – it comes down to the rivalry and, and, and all that good stuff. Plus, they have that big rivalry, and they're on the road for that game so I'm not too um upset about that loss at all but yeah the uh the 3-0 win against New York City FC the win against Atlanta United Atlanta United's a pretty decent side um definitely positive um positive results for them um yeah the Orlando City game that's just a that's just a spell of bad luck for them um but you know brush yourself off get back after the international break you've got a tough test against uh against Philadelphia I know on paper they're not as strong as they have been but still they are sitting in a in a playoff spot right now and um Philadelphia is Philadelphia they can always surprise um the rest of the way though I mean their their schedule isn't as like it's not easy, but it's also not really, really hard. Of course, they have Inter Miami um, in, in the early uh, in the early weeks of October, um, but they they do have um, some games against uh, Montreal, against um, Charlotte. Not saying like Mon- Montreal is a cakewalk, but still on paper, um, it's a game that 
Cincinnati should win. So, um, yeah, I don't think they'll break that record, but I think they'll get pretty close. And if they don't hit 70, I think they shave about like 65, 67. Just to go over the math as well, Rachel, I was, we were right. We did remember correctly. It was New England Revolution who set the record with 73 points in 2021. That averages out to 2.15 points per game. FC Cincinnati currently at 2.11. In order to tie the record, Rachel, they would need 16 points from the remaining seven games. I see comfortably three wins in there, Rachel. So just to go through their schedule. So uh, since he is not playing this weekend for the international break, folks, so then they're back on the 16th. They're at Philadelphia Union. Rachel, you mentioned that's going to be a tough one. At Montreal, can probably get a result from that. I think it should be then three wins in a row, Rachel, if you're talking about at home to Charlotte, at Toronto FC, who are still bottom of the Eastern Conference, and then hosting New York Red Bulls. And then you've got Miami on the road on October 7th. That's going to be tough. And at that point, Rachel, we'll see whether or not, uh, you know, does... Uh, has Miami jumped above the red line at that point? Is that still a three points that they need? Or does Miami have another game in there either before or for decision day that they're going to prioritize? Like how we saw them do a little bit of squad rotation and Messi not starting against New York Red Bulls. And then they're hosting Atlanta. That could have massive playoff implications for Orlando, for Cincinnati as well. So I comfortably see three wins in there, Rachel, between Charlotte, Toronto, and New York Red Bulls. Can they win that game against Montreal? That would get them to 12. And then you need four points from three games in order to tie it or five points from those three games in order to um, in order to break the record between Philly, Miami, and Atlanta. I think that's a tough stretch. Um, I won't give a point total uh, yet, Rachel, because I'd have to do some math on that as far as the results. But I will agree with you. I do not think FC Cincinnati ties or beats the record set by that 2021 uh, New England Revolution team. Um, let's move on. Speaking of uh, Inter-Miami, Rachel, um, Inter-Miami obviously won the League's Cup, won in penalties over Nashville. In Nashville, they've gotten a couple of big results as well. Uh, Messi comes on uh, with an absolutely audacious pass right in front of of our good friend Harvey uh, Cruz and gets the 2-0 win at New York Red Bull. And then obviously they outplay, but uh, are unfortunately only able to get a draw against Nashville. Nashville probably looking for some revenge and had a lot of motivation from that from League's Cup. That was the first game, listeners, that uh, Miami technically did not win. That was the first one that was technically scored a draw. And then what do they do coming off of that, Rachel? They get dominated for 20 minutes by LAFC. You've got half of Hollywood. It looked like it was the Oscars, basically, with how many people you had in there. And absolute domination by Miami once they kind of get over the hump of the initial pressure from LAFC. LAFC have not looked like themselves, but Inter-Miami taught them some really tough lessons in the second half. Rachel, I, I think it's a valid question at this point, barring injury or significant squad rotation with Messi playing less than 20 minutes. I'm not sure I see Inter-Miami losing a game the rest of the way from the win that I saw on LAFC. Any qualms I had about, oh, are they, is there just not enough time? Are there not enough games? Are they just barely going to miss out? This is a playoff team. This team, but like if Messi is healthy and keeping you and starting games and averaging like, um, at least 65 minutes per game uh, the rest of the way as well. Inter-Miami will make the playoffs. Rachel, what have, what have we met? What have we seen of them? And then just given the media circus that we've seen, is this, is this the biggest an MLS club has been in for the stretch that Miami's been at the club? Well, I need DC to win a couple games so they don't knock DC. <laughs> oh, I'm still, oh, I'm still recovering from last year, man. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm total agreement with you. I don't think Inter-Miami is going to lose another game. I think they are certainly going to go to the playoffs. How far they go in the playoffs is, is going to be um, up in the air. I mean, this is still just oh, this new playoff format is just so wild and wonky. Um, but yeah, I mean, there there's no way, right? Like, I, I can't see Inter-Miami losing uh, out the rest of their matches excuse me, to teams like Toronto, to, to Houston, to, to New York City FC. I just, they have some tough games sprinkled in like little bitty places. Um, But like, also, I just don't really see like Inter-Miami beating Cincinnati. Um, They are at home. They are hosting them on October 7th. But 
Um, I, I think Cincinnati could get a win there, and I think that would be a huge confidence booster for them. But, I mean, Inter-Miami finishes their season against Charlotte back-to-back um, on October 18th, October 21st. So um, they could get six points out of there. That could, like, you know, that could bump somebody out, and that could bump them right in. So, um, yeah, I think they make I think they make the playoffs. But how far they go, I don't think they make it to um, uh, to, like, the conference final per se. Yeah, I think the playoff structure is going to make it really tough. And then let me just look it up. I guess we don't have a on a we, we don't have a per messy basis on this, um, Rachel. But but we have seen the games that they've struggled in have been in their away games. The games where they've been on the front foot and absolutely dominated teams, at least in performance, are the games in which they've been at home. So I look at that home game against Atlanta, just, you know, uh, Brad Guzan in that whole defense was just caught unaware and just completely unprepared. <laughs> on performance and the balance of the metrics that we care about here at last word SC probably should have won that game against Nashville. It was good for Nashville to get a draw on this one. And Rachel, I have to imagine, you know, inner Miami does have a lot of games against the teams around them in the table that are their competition. So, you know, yes, they did go and win at LAFC, but this isn't like they have to go win in Orlando, Rachel, they don't have to play. Well, I guess they do have to play FC Cincinnati again, but we're not looking at, at Seattle, at St. Louis City, you know, where one of those games is a midweek game or something like that. They don't have to play at Atlanta um, again, I think as well. And so like the, you know, it's a lot of, it's New York Red Bulls, it's Charlotte FC, it's other teams that they should be able to beat and that they will beat. Um, I will agree with you. They make the playoffs. Um, I feel comfortable saying right now, um, I, I'll say uh, I reserve the right to change my view once we get to the playoffs, Rachel. But uh, I do think that they, um, if I have a choice between Inter Miami and the field for MLS Cup, I will take the field in this one. And I do think the playoff structure, given that they will not have a home game, I guess maybe they get to eight. So then they get to smack, you know, ninth place DC United, um, you know, and Messi will have a hat trick on half court shots on um on Tyler Miller alone um they'll be fine but you know that those three game series where it's uh away home away and the fact that they won't be hosting an MLS cup unless it's you know San Jose makes a weird run or anything is going to make it really tough and that may gives me doubt but they've already won a trophy Rachel I have a lot of confidence that they're going to win that open cup final at home against Houston and so uh those two trophies making the playoffs and then a playoff run. And if you lose, it's to a really good team on the road and everything, and then creates drama. Cause then, Oh, Messi's got to win MLS cup in his next year. Uh, wins narrative FC. And I think would be uh, a fair result in that regard. Um, with that, Rachel, we're going to play a little bit of a game. Um, I don't know that it's, uh, we're a little, there's too many, uh, games I think left Rachel for us to go full DEFCON rating. There's, there's a lot of still potential that's going to happen in here, but Rachel, let's both go through and let's pick a team that is currently out of the playoffs that we have making the playoffs. And then a team currently in a playoff spot that we currently have missing. Uh, Rachel, I will let you go first and we will start in the Eastern conference. You just want me to pick DC. <laughs> Fine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm, no, I'm, I'm not I'm, doing I'm, it. I'm a skeptic, Rachel. Convince me. Like, let's, yeah. I, Tell me why I'm wrong. I can't. <laughs> I can't. But you know what? I'm going to pick Montreal. Um, I am going to pick Montreal to to get bumped out of their playoffs. But I just think the, their matches are a little bit tougher um, on paper. For them, they have Cincinnati, they have Orlando, Orlando's a sneaky team, Portland they have along the stretch. So uh, Columbus, um, on paper, they just have a lot tougher uh, of matches than uh, than DC United does. So uh, I think I think DC United will, will sneak in there, um, maybe in that last place spot in Inter-Miami taking um, that eighth place spot. But I'm not going to go with the obvious pick um, of Inter-Miami. Um, I'm going to say that I'm going to say that New York City FC gets in into the playoffs and into the number eight spot. I think, again, it's it's so hard to say, but like on paper, just their schedule is a little bit thinner um, than, than a couple other teams. Granted, they only have six games left um, instead of like some others having seven. Um, I think even there's like a couple teams that have eight games left, um, but Obviously, they have their Hudson River Derby on September 16th against New York Red Bulls, but then they have some games that I think that they can get some wins. I think they can win against um, in in the, the end of September, early October. Um, they have games against Toronto, 
Inter Miami. That Inter Miami game is obviously going to be tough. But then they close out the season with DC United in Chicago. So I'm going to play um, devil's advocate and and pick the the blue New York City team um, to sneak into the playoffs. Let's start with my obvious answer here, Rachel. DC United is not making the playoffs. I'm not convinced with what they did in the summer. I think Christian Benteke has been reliable, but I'm not convinced elsewhere around what they are from an attacking standpoint. Given what we know about Taxi Fontas as a person right now, I think uh, how DC United handled that was absolutely the right decision. That being said, it limits the other options they have in attack other than the battering ram that is Christian Benteke. And I think pretty clearly they're they're found out tactically, and I think they've got a lot of very easy weaknesses that teams that are better tactically or more talented can easily take advantage of. As I said, Rachel, like the like I, I still don't understand what they've been doing with Tyler Miller in goal and the way that he's been out and everything. And do that against Lionel Messi at your own peril if you want your team to if you want your team to go viral. Like Rachel, can you imagine all those really horrible, super trashy um, you know, English tabloids and how they cover football and all the salacious type they love. If they can like open up with the headline of like Wayne Rooney's tactical idiocy led to the most amazing goal that Lionel Messi has scored in major league soccer, like don't get dunked on. It's really easy to not get dunked on. And I'm not convinced of it at this point. So, so it's DC United, they're falling out of the playoffs and you're going to think Rachel, that I'm taking the easy way out and saying inner Miami, I'm not convinced of any of the other teams in the Eastern conference currently out of the playoffs, Toronto, I think self-explanatory Harvey's been on here. He's discussed the issues with New York Red Bull. I don't think the talents there. Um, you know, I do think that Troy has done a really decent job, but I think they've leveled off. And again, they're they're playing a bunch of young kids who are super exciting. They play a really distinct style that works for them, but it's a known quantity. And I don't know how they dig themselves out of this hole. I think NYCFC is broken. I thought that Maxi Morales could potentially have a renaissance coming back with them. What just happened, Rachel? He tore his ACL. So Maxi Morales is out. I'm personally out on Nick Cushing. Robin Frazier will not be the last head coach fired before the end of this MLS regular season. And then Charlotte and Chicago, I think otherwise are mid. And I don't know that I see them making any kind of a surge. They're at where they are on the table. They're a bubble team at best. So I think it'll just be, I think it'll be Miami jumping up the rankings. And then everybody else is just battling for who's going to be the last team out. With that, Rachel, let's move on to the Western Conference. And I will let you go. Western Conference. Um, I'm going to take the easy pick here and say San Jose is going to get bumped out um, of their playoff spot. I, I think you alluded to it a lot earlier with some of their issues. Um, they have a pretty difficult schedule coming up. I know they play, you know, they have Nashville coming up. They have Portland um, who, are, who are vying to try to push for one of those playoff spots. No, as a Sounders fan, I am not picking Portland to um, overcome their struggles and make it into the playoffs. Um, but Portland is also one of those just like sneaky teams that any anything can happen against them. So I'm going to go with San Jose. And then, oh, man, I'm going to. I guess I'll be devil's advocate and I'll say, uh, I'll say sporting Kansas city, um, sporting Kansas city gets in. I think they're going to need some draws. They're not going to get, I don't see them getting wins, um, on the road, especially against St. Louis, um, and, and against inner Miami, but I can see them, you know, they're hosting, uh, Nashville, they're hosting Houston dynamo. If they can keep them and, and Minnesota to, to one point, um, not one point to getting three points and holding like a team like Nashville to one point would be good, but like getting wins against Minnesota, getting wins against uh, Houston. I could see them going on the road and, and doing something against uh, Real Salt Lake. Um, it's just, it's up in the air right now. Although I think the Western conference is going to stay pretty much set to what it is. Um, Austin is another team that could fluctuate, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say sporting Kansas city. Good picks there, Rachel. I think logical logical in that one. Uh, for the sake of also being the devil's advocate and diversity, I'm going to pick two teams different than you. My default would have been San Jose and Sporting Kansas City. So first of all, I'm going to start, Rachel, with FC Dallas falling out of the playoffs. They are currently in ninth. They are on 34 points. Uh, they're on 26 games played. There's a lot of variability right now, I think, because of League's Cup folks in terms of how many games all these teams will play. But as we will, as you will see... 
when I get to my team that is coming into the playoffs. I do think FC Dallas has a very tough stretch coming up. Rational. Uh, Dallas is off again, like most teams in MLS, but then they are. Uh, here's their schedule. They've got Seattle, RSL, Columbus Crew, Philadelphia Union, Houston Dynamo. They're at home to Colorado Rapids. I think they win that game, listeners. They've got then San Jose on the second to last match day of the year. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I think they can get a result in that one. And as you'll see in a minute, when I pick my team, Rachel, they've got a what could I think could prove to be a very critical game in on the road to LA Galaxy on decision day. I think this is a tough schedule. Um, obviously, if you're picking two Eastern Conference teams right now, you don't want to play Rachel. And if my and if I was told that I could not select first place FC Cincinnati and then the most informed team in inner Miami. I think it would be Columbus crew and Philadelphia union would be the two teams that I would not want to pick. So that's really tough. And then other than that, they're playing other good MLS teams that I think are better than them right now. I think Seattle Sounders still certainly are better than them. Um, I really liked what RSL has done and Chicho Rongo is scoring goals for fun. Absolutely. I think he's been better since coming back to MLS. He's been better than what uh, uh, Jesus Ferreira has been for Dallas so I think they have a tough schedule and so I'm going to contrast that Rachel with me being a little bit of a homer here and I'm going to say that the LA Galaxy make the playoffs just like Inter Miami they're on 25 games played so they've got games in hand on everyone else around them no other team in the Western Conference has played less than 26 games and then even though they are 13th in the West they are only five points back of the table and so you'd say the okay so then the question is not then the point difference but how many teams they have to jump again the three teams immediately above them portland skc austin all on 27 games played so you can't a win and a draw in those two games that you have an advantage that folds you up to 33 you are tied on points with them Let's look at the remaining LA Galaxy schedule. Or first thing, Rachel, I want to point out is the fantastic couple of weeks they've had. They did not play particularly well against Houston Dynamo, but got a draw. And then it was a massive week for them with the Cali Clasico, in which they won on the weekend against Chicago Fire 3-0. There was a red card for the Fire in that game. And then came back with a crazy 3-2 win against San Jose in San Jose. That is the kind of stuff, Rachel, that is character building for the current state of the LA Galaxy that is absolutely critical. So the remaining schedule, St. Louis City, tough game, LASC, uh, you know, El Trafico, going to be tough. Minnesota United, Austin, I think they can get four points from that. Portland Timbers, that's a six-pointer. Seattle, uh, going to be tough as well. Minnesota, going to be tough. And then they close out the final two match dates at home to RSL and at home to FC Dallas. LA Galaxy and Rachel have looked at their best when they've been at home. I thought they sneakily had the best window that they've had uh, certainly in the summer. The um, uh, Asian center back, whose name I don't have in front of me and I don't want to mispronounce, I think looks really, really good. I sneakily like Billy Sharp as well. I think they've added right pieces in the right areas. I don't think they're going to be very good in the playoffs, but in terms of upward movement and in terms of their health, in terms of Ricky Pooch being very good, and despite having the weird transfer ban situation that they had, I think they addressed all the issues that they have had um, in uh, from a positional standpoint. So if Billy Sharp can get on form, given that he is still uh, a fat lad in Los Angeles, as opposed to a fat lad from Sheffield, I think will bode well for them. LA Galaxy sneak in in ninth. Last thing that we want to talk about, Rachel, um, I'll put a link in the show notes to um, HTHL, which Rabbi and I recorded on Tuesday. Colorado Rapids parted ways with Robin Frazier. Robin Frazier was part of the problem, Rachel, but he was not the problem. There was a really good, I can't remember what the name of the series is that MLSsoccer.com puts out, but so they they did a whole um, write-up on that reacting to Robin Frazier. And then so they basically said, like, there were two options here. One, he lost the locker room. Two, we couldn't think of a better idea, so we hit the fire the coach button and that'll work, right? And so um, there were bigger issues at the Colorado Rapids right now. I don't think this is a particularly competitive roster. They've had injuries. That's not Robin Frazier's fault. I think Porrick Smith's uh, roster building from this season has not been particularly good. He did a great job ultimately building up to the team in 2021. And then when those players left, the uh, players that he has brought in to replace them have just not been up to snuff. And the players that he still has 
from uh, recent years have also regressed significantly. This is not a competitive roster. I don't think Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp are making the playoffs with this team. That being said, I think Frazier tactically was getting stale. I've increasingly heard and seen evidence that um, there was a disconnect between Pork Smith and uh, Robin Frazier. Did they have a disagreement about what the Rapids way should look like? Did Robin Frazier no longer believe in it? Or did he not think that this group could win with it? And then was he, did he want to then change the approach to try and win now and then get back to their philosophy when they have flexibility to make changes in the roster going forward? This is still a team that does not spend a whole lot of money. And while Rachel Toronto FC is a very good example of why spending money, it does not guarantee success. It's increasingly a prerequisite prerequisite in major league soccer so we'll see what happens um you know obviously uh we're gonna get a really good idea rachel we've got eight games left for the colorado rapids that's eight out of points that we're gonna get on whether or not this team was fed up with robin and then just hearing the same thing even with a different voice is beneficial or if maybe we see some changes that that changes anything their first two games after the international break, Rachel, at home to New England Revolution, at home to Seattle Sounders. If Robin was hugely the problem, that better be four points right there. And guess what? If it's one game where they lose by multiple goals and then an ugly nil-nil draw where the opponent is totally okay playing out the second half for a nil-nil draw, that'll be all the confirmation that we need in this regard. There's a lot going wrong with Rapids right now, um, and we'll see whether or not they can fix them. First, most importantly, uh, the biggest issue remains ownership and their level of financial commitment and engagement in order to trying to want to build a competitive team. I feel bad for Robin Frazier. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a good person. Um, Rachel, I have heard that both Toronto FC and LA Galaxy have reached out. Robin Frazier will have no problem being employed in 2024 if he wants to be. I think, unfortunately, it will likely be as an assistant head coach. Given, Rachel, that the two opportunities he's had are at Colorado Rapids under a KSE team that doesn't spend money and Chivas USA, I do believe that he deserves a... Uh, a third opportunity as a head coach in MLS. And Rachel, I'm not sure if you saw, but friend of the show, uh, Jonathan Tannenwald uh, tweeted out when the news broke out and everything. Uh, hopefully he gets an opportunity to be a head coach somewhere that actually backs him in ways that Chivas and Philly did not. And that hit the nail right on the head. So we'll see what happens. Um, Rachel, it's been an interesting year for the Rapids. It's been bad. The Rapids are never really boring. The games might be boring, but the narratives around them aren't boring. They're interesting, but obviously not relevant because the team's bad. So Rachel, I'm like the sideline news reporter who's reporting on some breaking news downtown. But the thing that's breaking out downtown is that somebody put all of the dumpsters right next to each other and then lit a huge, massive dumpster fire. And so I'm just sitting here with like small gas getting into my eyes and I'm crying. But boy, is this interesting from a flame structure standpoint. So as the um. I'm not sure if you saw Rachel, but uh, Robin's last game was ultimately the um, Rocky Mountain Cup on the weekend, which RSL won two to nil. Um, and then uh, RSL's fans had a TIFO that said where there's smoke, there's fire. And then they literally had a dumpster that was on fire and the dumpster was labeled Colorado Rapids. Uh, and the fact that Rapids Twitter reacted that and said, like, yeah, that hits the nail on the head when when the when your arch rival puts out a TIFO absolutely clowning you and then all of your fans instead of responding by doing a tifo response or by pantering back and forth are like yeah i like this i agree with it retweet this is on point um you know things are bad and the rapids are bad um rachel anything else mls we want to talk about or shall we get out of here with some pickums Listeners, so we will start uh, September 9th, uh, 5 p.m. Eastern time this coming Saturday uh, on TNT. The United States men's national team will take on Uzbekistan at City Park, City Field in uh, City Park, excuse me, uh, in St. Louis, Missouri. Rachel, how many goals will Tim Ream score in the Tim Ream Memorial homecoming that will be the United States men's national team winning over Uzbekistan? One penalty kick, one header on a quarter kick is what I'm going with. Um, USA wins, I think, pretty clear cut. Mm, I'm going to say this is going to be a 6-0 match, 6-0 dub. I do question, Rachel, like the... Is Greg Berhalter going to go for winning this, or is he going to go for let's use this as a training exercise and get guys opportunities? So for those reasons, I'm going to say that this is just a 2-0 victory. I will say that Christian Pulisic gets at least one assist. I will say that Florian Balligan 
uh, scores a goal as well. Um, and then how about a set piece goal? Maybe a Chris Richards, um, maybe one of the center backs. We'll see. Um, uh, you know, get involved, or maybe it's a broken play, that kind of a thing. And then gradually we'll see some squad rotation and some of the younger guys get opportunities in the second half. And while I think they will still be able to outplay Uzbekistan, I think Uzbekistan will do well by themselves in order to limit the damage in that regard. So a comfortable performance in terms of the United States outperforming um, the Uzbekistan, but I think it will just be a 2 0 win. And I will come out and say it right now, Rachel. Um, I do think that Tim Ream starts, and I think, albeit somewhat ceremoniously, Tim Ream will have the captain's armband as well in that game. And then let's move on. Uh, Rachel and I agreed, listeners, this was the most interesting game on the weekend. Miami haters cry about it. Uh, Inter Miami hosting Sporting Kansas City, same time as the U.S., 5 30 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday, September 9th. Um, this will be on Apple TV. For most of the country, I guess maybe not the Canadians. Uh, Rachel, how many goals is Messi scoring in their win against Kansas City? I think he scores one, and I think it's like one of those 85th minute goals um, to give them a win over a frustrating Kansas City team who is going to be kicking themselves. Um, Everybody wants to be in Miami. There's no secret about it, but I don't think it's going to happen in this game. I'm going to go. I'm going to go two to one, though. I'm going to say two one as well, Rachel. So uh, congratulations. We're both we're both going to be wrong on this one. I think SKC will do well by themselves. I think they've had a really good week. Rachel, um, that win against San Jose Earthquakes was absolutely massive for them in terms of their playoff seeding opportunities as well. And Alan Polito, back, looking good, uh, looking dangerous, rounding into form, potentially getting fit right at the right time down this stretch to help SKC make the playoffs, maybe do something in said playoffs as well. So I do think that will allow SKC to be a danger in transition. We've seen that at times Miami's had trouble with that when they've looked leggy. So we'll see what squad rotation we see from Tata Martino given um, the issues they clearly had against LAFC, especially at the start of the game. But I don't think there's any denying at home. Inter Miami's looking really good. Messi having a full week to rest. I think he starts absolutely. And uh, at no disrespect to um the sporting defense, uh, there will be some clowning going on and uh, it'll be a two win victory for um, the Flamingos. I don't know what to be other than calling them inter. What other nickname do we have for them? Maybe the Herons. Are they technically Herons instead of Flamingos on yeah, the press, I Rachel? Think I, think they're, I think they're Herons. OK, um, any people, any inner Miami people want to get at us with a clarification on that if we end up being wrong or if there's some other fun supporter nickname that we've um, come up with them, you know, like how uh, just recently, Rachel, I learned that uh, one of. Uh, FC Cincinnati's nickname are the Garys as well. So there's a, a fun story behind that. So maybe there's a fun meme that's come out of uh, Inter Miami that's a nickname that doesn't confuse them with, I don't know, the third biggest club in Italian football might be helpful. But in any case, that will does it do it for us folks. Uh, I have no last words. Rachel, I will throw it to you. I'm going to keep my last words very brief in them and tell you all about our lovely friends, Icarus FC. Um, Support Spain and support, uh, and by Spain, I mean the Spanish women's national team, um, and support Jenny Hermoso. Um, there, I'm not going to go into it because there's so much. If you, um, if you, if you want to read about it, it's very easy to find articles about, um, what had happened, uh, during the trophy lift with Jenny Hermoso and the Spanish Federation president, um, Jorge Vida has been sacked. Um, the president still has a job, although he is on uh, administrative leave. So um, the the players need change and, and they are really standing up for themselves and betting on themselves, saying that they're not going to play until change is happening. Um, so just a big shout out to the Spanish women's national team. Um, give them your love. Give them your your support. Um, and now I'm going to tell y'all about these wonderful sponsors that we have who want to know, are you tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Are you looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult, or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price with the motto, any design you want. Seriously, let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com. Calm and back to you, Matt. Rachel, I want to echo everything that you just said about what's going on in Spanish women's football. And I think, unfortunately, this is just another example we see where 
you put men in position of power over women, they will abuse it with impunity until they are punished. It, it continues to break my heart. Um, I, I know this word has a lot of negative and trolly connotations around it, Rachel, but the, the fact that still women's football is not a safe space for women from men in a position of authority over them is just heartbreaking. And I, I still, other than complete accountability and then like, you know, blacklisting people from working in the sport. I don't know that we have a better solution for that. We've seen this domestically in the NWSL. We've seen it in the U.S. Soccer Federation, and we've seen it around as well. Um, I, I hope that justice is served. I hope this is pulled out. Um, and then I I hope that ultimately this leads to um, proper supporting and change within Spanish football. And then whatever parts of I'm not going to pretend to know the intricacies of their culture as well, Rachel. I know there's some European countries where like the kiss on the cheek or even like random strangers that you're saying goodbye to is a thing. Um, I don't know how that leads to then a consensual kiss on the lips to say nothing. Of the You saw Rachel, there was the weird sequence where he was also like picking up the women in like a in like the the way that like a as someone who has been a boyfriend and my girlfriend being significantly smaller than me like hugging them and picking them up is like a fun playful thing that we do but like him doing that in a way and then seeing several of those spanish players then squirm out of it as they are released from his clutches and everything just again super cringe as well um he should be fired he should not work, get an opportunity to work in women's football ever uh he probably shouldn't get to work in men's football ever we should be making an example of him um and uh there's as we saw before the tournament after the tournament there's so many other ways in which you could be making a healthier and safer and more prosperous working environment in spanish football this is a lesson on what not to do folks do better and then hold those people accountable um and then don't stop feeling that way just because some time has passed as well if this guy is somehow still in the um in in the French feder in the uh, not French excuse me the Spanish Federation come the 2027 World Cup uh Rachel you and I are um are taking a trip to Spain to throw tomatoes at this person I think that's fair um listeners I want to thank our other sponsor Roughneck Scarves they are an official supplier of official soccer merchandise at MLS USL the NWSL and US Soccer get your custom scarves for your group team office or even rec league at roughneckscarves.com that does it for us folks you can follow us on all of the social media platforms at last word SC check us out at lastwordonsports.com backslash soccer and rate review share subscribe wherever you get your podcast just search last word sc radio or lws radio you'll find us and a bunch of other great content uh necessary roughness is back rachel as the uh nfl is coming back so uh, we'll see what your pittsburgh steelers are doing this weekend given their big matchup with the uh 49ers and i'd already like to preemptively uh congratulate the seahawks on beating the los angeles rams we're gonna win like four or five games this year and no i don't care because we won the super bowl and you didn't ha 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 that'll do it for us folks we'll see you next time <laughs>